Turn, if you will, to the book of Genesis, and we're backtracking just a little bit here tonight as we begin our uh, study within a study. Uh, we're studying the book of Genesis, but we come to the part of Genesis that talks about uh, the life of Joseph, the life of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 30, And verse 22, I believe it is. It says, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, God hath, or she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Now, our study uh, here uh, of the life of Joseph uh, will be about knowing what the will of God is for our lives. I think it's a good study in talking about the will of God, you know, because Joseph is going to undergo some trials, and even during the trials, he stood fast in trusting the Lord for the outcome. And I want us to, as we study the book of Genesis here and the particular part about Joseph and we've heard many many stories in the past we've heard messages about Joseph but trust God to teach you something perhaps you've never learned before and one of the things I want to just point out and for us to consider as we look at Joseph uh, we could say that there are three don'ts when everything is going wrong three don'ts that when everything is going wrong Uh, Things went wrong for Joseph a number of times. And I think there are some principles that we need to remember here just as we began this study here. First of all, don't demand understanding. You may not understand why things are going wrong. You may not understand why God is allowing certain things in your life. And you don't need to demand that you know why God is doing what He's doing. Uh... So don't demand understanding. Secondly, don't bow to bitterness. And then thirdly, don't fail to be faithful. You know, we can, when trials come in our life, difficulties, uh, it can make us either bitter or better. And so don't bow to bitterness, but be faithful. Continue to be faithful. And that's what I believe we see in Joseph. Uh, Those are some of the things that we learn from this Bible character by the name of Joseph. He's a character who had character. Now the pages uh, of our Bible are filled with stories of actually hundreds of men and women. Nearly every story uh, contains, though, one common thread. When the character is a king or a peasant or a prophet or a general or a fisherman or a preacher... Nearly every person mentioned in the Bible has his or her dark side revealed. You remember Noah got drunk. Uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all lied to save their own hides. Moses committed murder. David was guilty of adultery. Solomon was an idolater. Peter cursed and lied. John the Baptist doubted the Lord Jesus. 
And we could go on and on and on throughout the, the, the Scriptures and find the characters there, the stories of these people, and there's always something that's not quite right. Pages are, of the Bible are filled with the sins of the people mentioned in its pages. Now, as the verses uh, we uh, see here uh, tonight introduce us to a man by the name of Joseph. He was the 11th son of the patriarch Jacob. His name means Jehovah has added. He lived 110 years and there's not a single sin talked about in Joseph's life. Now, was he perfect? No. He was not perfect. But we don't find that the Lord chose to reveal any of his faults. Uh, he endured trials and afflictions. And uh, most of uh, things that we can't even imagine, nowhere does the Bible even hint, though, that his faith wavered in God. He never seemed to get his eyes off the Lord. Again, was he perfect? No. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes Joseph. So we cannot say he was perfect, but we don't read about his imperfections. And perhaps this is why the Holy Spirit gives Joseph so much space in the book of Genesis. Uh, he receives actually the same number of chapters as Abraham did. Abraham had 14 chapters, and uh, there are about 25% more verses, though, dedicated to Joseph's life. He was a great man of God. And while Joseph receives much attention in the Old Testament, he's mentioned only four times in the New Testament. You find it in John 4, 5, Acts 7, 9 through 14, Hebrews 11. Of course, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11, 21 and 22, and then he's mentioned in Revelation 7 and verse 8. Only four times in the New Testament. And we're left to learn about Joseph from the record given to us in the book of Genesis. Now, another characteristic that I think marks Joseph's life is the number of years where, or, or, uh, a number of areas in where he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a, a picture of Christ. As you study his life, you encounter over 100 particular points where Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. And we'll probably be pointing some of those out along the way. But besides being a godly man and a type of Jesus, uh, the study of Joseph's life is valuable, I believe, because he stands as a model of what every believer should strive to be. He never wavers. He never fell. He never complained. He never compromised. He never lost his power with God. He stood his ground for the glory of God in Man, uh, in many terrible situations. His life demonstrates the triumph of, of faith. Now beyond all that, one of the greatest aspects of Joseph's life is how clearly the hand of God can be seen in it. The providence of God is on display throughout the narrative of Joseph's life. He, in any, every event, God is busy fulfilling Romans 8.28, working everything out for his purpose. Now, I would like for us to spend some time studying this man by the name of Joseph, and we're going to take Genesis 50 
and verse 20 as the text for the whole series within this series that we're studying. And that verse says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. I think that's a key verse in the life of Joseph. God meant it unto good. And as you think about that verse and the remainder of our study in the book of Genesis, I hope to, you see how God can make every circumstance of life, whether it's good or evil, and use it to make us stronger in our walk with Him. I want us to understand that there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God working behind the scenes even of your life and my life to bring us to the place of Christian maturity. Now with that in mind, let's look at the early years of the man by the name of Joseph and learn a great truth, how that God meant it for good. And today we're going to see that there are some blessings from an unlikely source. Some blessings from an unlikely source. Now we hear a lot today about dysfunctional families, dysfunctional homes. And I realize that many homes are in turmoil today. Divorce, sin of all kinds, absentee parents, among other evils, have left the home in tatters, in shambles. In many cases, it seems that the little children are growing up today and they don't even have a chance. We're told that we are the product of our environment. We're told that our background shapes our lives to such a degree that how we are raised will determine how we'll live. Well, I think our background, our environment is important. And to a certain degree, we are products of our upbringing. And we bring with us certain traits or habits or characteristics from the homes in which we were raised. Thankfully, if there's some bad habits, some bad traits, some bad characteristics that we were brought up in, we don't have to continue to live in those. Joseph kind of blows that theory out of the water that he's a product of his environment. Before Joseph was thrown into a pit, before he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, before he languished in prison, before he stood before Pharaoh as a prime minister of Egypt, Joseph spent his formative years in a home that were marked by sin and sadness and strife and struggles. And yet he became a great man of God and was used of the Lord in a tremendous way. And tonight I want to examine some of the earlier years of Joseph's life. I want to talk about those formative years that could have formed this boy into an evil man. But instead, I want you to see how that God overcame Joseph's family, overcame his upbringing, and all the negative influences that he faced. Looking at Joseph's family at his early years, most people would have concluded that Joseph didn't have a chance. After all, most of his brothers didn't turn out so well. God in His providence and by His power was able to over overcome all the negatives in Joseph's life. Now notice, first of all, the miracle of Joseph's birth. The miracle of Joseph's birth. 
Well, there it did. <laughs> we were going along so good. You were behaving yourself so well. And now you've messed up. You're fired. I don't know what it is. Well, we're going to talk about the miracle of Joseph's birth without you. You blew your, your mind. You blew my mind. So you're fired. It's, it's kind of like uh, what uh, I do with some of my golf clubs, right? I put them in the bag and I leave them there when they don't cooperate. So, let's look first of all at the testimony of his birth. The testimony. Now I know we are going to review here a bit, but I want you to think about this. Joseph was born into a family embroiled in the midst of controversy. His father Jacob fell in love with his cousin, a girl named Rachel, agreed to work for her father, Laban, who was also a, uh, his uncle for seven years. You remember uh, that in Genesis 29. The deal was struck, and after seven years, the wedding day arrived. Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Leah was the oldest, but Rachel was by far the most attractive. And on the evening of the wedding, Uncle Laban tricked the trickster and sent his eldest daughter, Leah, to Jacob's tent instead of Rachel. Jacob spends his wedding night with Leah and in the morning discovers what has happened. And he confronts Laban, who agrees to let Jacob have Rachel in exchange for seven more years of work. Didn't have to wait seven years to marry her. Uh, he had to wait one week. So within a week, Jacob now has two young wives. And these two wives are sisters. Jacob clearly loves Rachel more than he does Leah. This sets the stage for some jealousy and some bitterness and some anger. You can see that his uh, home is already, before Joseph's even born, is really getting off to a great start. Isn't long before Leah gets pregnant, not once, but four times, she gives Jacob four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, one after the other. Rachel doesn't quite uh, understand. She comes unglued about this whole thing. Uh, the worst thing that could happen to a woman in that day was to be childless. She takes the matters into her own hands. She gives Jacob her handmaid, Bilhah, to have children in her place. Bilhah has two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Leah sees this. She knows that it, she isn't having children, so she gives her handmaid, Zilpah, to Jacob to have children for her. Zilpah has two sons, Gad and Asher. And after a time, Leah has three more children by Jacob, Issachar, Zebulon, and a daughter by the name of Dinah. Confused yet? Well, this is the beginning of soap operas, I think. But Jacob has ten sons and a daughter, but his beloved wife Rachel is still barren. And yet, in God's providence, God hears Rachel's pleas, for a son, and Joseph is born. That's what we read about in our text this evening. And so Joseph's birth is a testimony in itself because God has opened a barren womb to bring him into the world. He was born because of divine intervention. And by the way, you are here tonight 
because God, in his sovereignty, decided to send you to this world. Now, your birth was not an accident. It was the will of God. And that's a testimony in itself. So we find the testimony of his birth. Secondly, the triumph of his birth. The triumph of his birth. Surely Jacob was proud of all of his sons. Surely he was pleased with his little daughter, Dinah. But something was still missing as he watched the woman he loved suffer because she could not have children. It must have broken his heart. But God heard their prayers. God opened the womb of Rachel and Joseph was born. And the birth of little Joseph brought about a time of rejoicing and great happiness in Jacob's home. And that's how the birth of a baby often affects a home, doesn't it? It's cute, kind of wrinkled. Uh, even though he's a dictator, and even though they might dominate the home, it's amazing how little babies can, so little, even our newest grandson, Joshua, only five pounds and a few ounces, Rules the roost. You know? But they bring such joy and satisfaction as well. Thank God for the privilege of seeing children come into the world. And so there's the triumph of his birth, but thirdly, there's the timing, the timing of his birth. Joseph was the 11th son born to Jacob. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. From all outward appearances, Joseph entered this life at a disadvantage. Not appear that he had much hope for a future in this family. He was always going to be the lone man on the totem pole, being bossed around, picked on by others. But the timing of his birth could not have been worse from the human perspective. But as we're going to see, God knew what he was doing. And like cream... Joseph rose to the top of that family. Now you might look at your own life today and you feel like everything's against you. But don't count the Lord out. He has a plan for you. And he's going to implement and execute that plan no matter how things may appear. So we find here the miracle of Joseph's birth. Secondly, the maze. Now this is the fall of the year and we often talk about corn mazes, you know, and they're always kind of fun to try to find your way through, but here's the maze of Joseph's boyhood. Kind of a turn here and a turn there and a dead end here and a dead end there and, and finally he's going to come out. The victory. But his boyhood time, his formative years, are kind of like a maze. Notice first of all the problem areas of his childhood. The problem areas. You see, Joseph's upbringing was not an easy one. In fact, his early years were like a minefield. That's amazing that anyone could survive the pain and turmoil of those years with their, and have their sanity, their integrity, their emotions intact. But let's take a, just a moment to look at some of the events that marked his life. We've already talked about some of the problems in the home. One man uh, with children by four women living under the same roof equals a recipe for trouble. And add to this the fact that Jacob obviously loved Rachel more than the other women, and you have trouble enough to go around. But at the age of uh, young age, Joseph and his family make a hasty departure from 
his grandfather Laban's house. They flee under the cover of darkness because Jacob has cleaned out all of his father-in-law through deception. And then imagine the fear as your grandfather is chasing the family, overtakes the family, and has hard words with your father. Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his household gods. Of course, Jacob denies this, and it turns out that it had been Rachel. And she lies to her father to cover up the theft. And then Jacob and Laban make a covenant to stay away from one another. Uh, Laban uh, departs, and Joseph will never see his grandfather again. As you travel, word comes that your father's brother Esau is coming with men to meet your family. Jacob is afraid of Esau because of the way he had treated Esau 20 years earlier. So he divides the flocks into three parts to be used as a bribe to soften the heart of Esau. Joseph's older sister, we uh, studied uh, earlier in uh, chapter 34, was raped, raped by Shechem. Two of his brothers, Simeon and Levi, tricked the men of the city and eventually killed them all. Don't think there was some trauma in this boy's life? Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies. Jacob does nothing to make things right. Rachel, Joseph's mother, will eventually die when giving birth to his little brother, Benjamin. Reuben, the oldest brother, will commit incest with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Jacob knows about it, but he doesn't do anything about it. Joseph's other grandfather, Isaac, dies and is buried. We find that in chapter 35. Joseph's older brothers are all wicked, self-centered men. Jacob was a passive father who allowed his children to do as they pleased with no correction. Jacob was also guilty of favoritism. He loved Joseph more than the rest of his sons. Joseph lost his beloved mother at a young age. And then he was uprooted and moved at a young age as well. Joseph was surrounded by rape and murder and incest and treachery and intrigue and idolatry and jealousy and death and hatred. And this is a very negative, hostile environment to which to raise a child. And you say, he hasn't a chance in the world. Many people tonight, perhaps in this room, Some of you can look back to your own upbringing. You can see many problems in how you were brought up. Some of you were brought up in perhaps violent homes. Others were raised uh, with drinking and drugs and and bad living. Some may have been physically uh, abused. And hearing what Joseph faced may have even brought back some bad memories of your own past. But let me encourage you tonight. You can place your past in the hands of a sovereign Lord. Trust Him for the grace to live with the memories and for the strength to avoid making the same mistakes. Now where did all this dysfunction come from? It all started when Abraham asked Sarah to lie about their relationship back in Genesis chapter 12. The foundation for the future turmoil was laid when Sarai gave her maid, Hagar, to Abraham to be his concubine. And the problems in that family and in every other family were passed down from generation to generation. Now as you look at the problems that existed in this home, we should have 
have a desire to avoid some of their mistakes. And uh, I was going to have this list up here for you, but uh, we're not cooperating tonight. But uh, let me just go through a list of things, and you probably won't get them all, but uh, it's how to have a dysfunctional home. You probably really don't want to write this list down anyway. But this is how to have a dysfunctional home. Number one, be less than truthful with one another. Be less than truthful with one another. In other words, you're dis- be dishonest with one another and you'll have a dis- dysfunctional home. Be jealous of other family members. Demonstrate favoritism to your children. Try to help God accomplish His will in your home. You know, sometimes we try to help God along. We say, well, you know, I think this is God's will for you. Here's what you should do, this and this and this. And when it may not be God's will. Try to help God accomplish His will. Practice deception so you can get your way. Practice deception. And then operate outside the will of God and live in a, a life of anger, manipulation, and control. And you'll find here that sin is always the root cause of dysfunction in the home. That's how to build a dysfunctional home. Be less than truthful. Be jealous. Demonstrate favoritism. Help God accomplish His will. Practice deception. Operate outside of the will of God. Live a life of anger, manipulation, and control. And that's how you're going to have a dysfunctional home. Well, we find here that Jacob, or Joseph, had some problem areas in his home. He didn't have a very good upbringing. But notice there are some positive areas. The positive areas of his childhood. Because not everything was negative in Joseph's background. There are a few positive moments along the way. Let me just share a couple of those with you tonight. And I think they may have a hand in shaping the life of a special young man. There was one situation, one night Jacob sent his family ahead, you remember, and he stayed behind to pray about his upcoming meeting with Esau. Jacob had an encounter with God that night that changed his life forever. And when he catches back up with his family, remember he was limping on his leg and he tells them, I've got a new name. I'm no longer Jacob, which means trickster and deceiver and heel grabber. My new name is Israel, which means prince with God. And so Jacob has a new name, a new walk, a new life, and he'll never live like a trickster again. Surely the change in his father was something that Joseph would not forget. If you can remember... If you ever, any of you had parents that were unsaved, and you can remember when they got saved, and the change that came in their life, you know that that can have an impact upon on you. I think it had an impact upon Joseph's life. Another incident when God calls Jacob to come back to Bethel. Jacob demands that they do away with their false gods. He calls his family together, says, we're going to worship God alone. And while they're there, he builds an altar, he worships the Lord, he gives a testimony of how he first met the Lord. So back in chapter 35. 
And surely young Joseph would never forget the lessons he learned and the testimonies he heard at Bethel. And then in chapter 35, it tells us there that the family journeyed, uh, they, and, and as they journeyed, they enjoyed divine protection. They were surrounded by warlike tribes, and yet they were not attacked. That must have made an impression upon Joseph. Now, as I said, most of us can find flaws in our upbringing if we look close enough, and yet most of us can look back and see times when God revealed His hand in our lives, even at a young age. I can remember prayers that my father prayed. I can remember some of the church services that we attended and some of the godly people that were a part of the church that we attended. And they left a a mark upon my life. In fact, uh, one of the ladies was uh, my uh, uh, Sunday school teacher, and and it was under her that I got saved. Uh, Later on, I remember uh, missionaries visiting our our family's home, and one missionary had a name like mine. And I found out later I was named after that missionary. And then there was a, an evangelist that visited our home, and he loved my, uh, my mother's Spanish rice. Now, we're not Spanish. We're not, we don't, you know, we don't, but she made the best Spanish rice, according to him. And he loved it. I found out his name was also the same as my name. I was named after an evangelist. I remember some of these things that left a mark upon my life. Thank God for those times where God moved in spite of darkness and sin and revealed His presence and His providential protection. You can never underestimate the importance of a positive influence on a child's life. In Joseph's case, the positive influences seem to have had far more impact than the negative ones. And I think the same can be said about our lives as well. So we have the miracle of his birth, we have the maze of his boyhood, and then thirdly, the message, the message from Joseph's battles. Now there's several messages here, but uh, first of all, there's a message of hope. A message of hope. In his early years, And if those early years teach us anything, they should teach us that our childhood, childhood does not have to ruin us. And on the same note, your past should never be allowed to define you. Just because you came up in a rough environment doesn't mean you have to live that way now. Just because you're raised around harsh words and violent tempers does not mean you have to use the same words or display the same temper. You can overcome your past by the help of God. There is hope to look how you act and say, well, you know, that's just the way I was raised. You know what? That's a cop-out. People say, well, my mother was an ill-natured, and that's how I am too. No, it's how you choose to be. Others would say, well, my parents were negative and so am I. I can't help it. No, it's how you choose to be. Some say a bad temper runs in my family. I guess I just come by it naturally. Well, yeah, you do, but you choose to 
be that way. You see, to blame your actions on people in your past is nothing more than a smokescreen for a heart that refuses to repent of sin and be changed by the power of God. God would change you if you would let Him. He would take the shackles of your past off forever if you would allow Him to. Your past should never be allowed to define what you are today. What if people like Peter or Paul or even King David or King Josiah had adopted the attitude of people in our day? You know, they had all the pain and the problems in their past, and yet they overcame them by the help of the Lord, and they rose above them. So there is a message of hope. Secondly, there's a message of home here. A message of home. If you can take anything away from the home of Joseph, it's the truth that our homes should be sanctuaries of godliness. Every mother and father in this room tonight should fall down before the Lord and ask them to help make your home a godly home. It should be the place where Jesus rules, where He praises or His praises are heard, where He is Lord and where He's honored. Our homes must be places where children can hear the gospel and see it lived out. Our homes must be places where the Bible is read and honored and lived. Our homes should be places of worship where Jesus is lifted up. Our homes should be places where the voice of the Holy Spirit is able to speak to the hearts and lead us in the right path. Whether you have children or not, you ought to pray to that end. Every home that makes up this church should stand as a shining light for other homes in the church, and in the world, in our community. There's a message of hope, there's a message of home, but thirdly, there's a message of help. You know, as I consider the problems that plagued the early years of Joseph, there's a great blessing that I can take away with me tonight. I can rejoice that God was able to take the ore of this young man's life, refine it, and shape it into pure gold for His glory. And that's a blessing. You know, looking at Joseph from the outside, considering all the problems and all the dysfunction of his home, it would seem to be easy to conclude that he won't amount to anything. But God took his life and shaped him, made him one of the greatest men of the Bible. That is the power of grace. That is the power of God. It gives me hope as a parent. I know I've made mistakes raising my children. It's a comfort to know that God can overcome my foolishness and use my children in spite of me. It gives me hope as a pastor. I see children growing up today with the deck stacked against them, so to speak. It's a comfort to know that God can work in their lives in spite of their problems. He can save them and use them. It gives me hope as a person as well. When I think of my own past, And I'm encouraged when I understand that God can use me in spite of what I am and what I've been and what I've seen, what I've done. I hope it gives you hope as well. When God sought a man to lead his people out of Egypt, he didn't choose the most likely candidates. He went to the unlikely mine and dug out the ore of a washed-up 80-year-old fugitive who was keeping his father-in-law's sheep. And when God finished refining and shaping that ore, he had Moses. 
When God went to choose a new king for Israel, God didn't look in Saul's palace. God went to the most unlikely place, the unlikely mine called Bethlehem, and dug out some very unlikely ore. And when God was finished refining and shaping that ore, He had David, a man after God's own heart. When God went looking for an apostle to the Gentiles, He didn't look inside the church. God went to the most unlikely mine imaginable, dug out some ore that no one would have chosen. But God, when God was finished and was done shaping that ore, it became the gold we call Paul. You see, the Bible and church history is filled with stories just like that. God can take us in spite of what the world in the past has tried to do to us and take our unlikely lives and shape them into a blessing that He can use for His glory. And all I can say about that is praise His name. I'm so thankful tonight that for God's grace to take unlikely people to do His work. And I'm thankful that He is using you using me in his, for His glory. I trust He is tonight. Blessings from an unlikely source. You wouldn't think, just looking at Joseph's childhood, that he would have been a great man of God. But that's what he will become. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for the life of Joseph. And as we've even just kind of scratched the surface of his life tonight, Help us to understand that there's a tremendous message here. As we've said here, there's a message of hope, there's a message of home, and there's a message of help. Lord, help us to uh, take hold of this tonight. Realize that our homes must be godly homes. Help us to be the examples to our children and grandchildren that they need. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'll use our families for thy honor and for thy glory. Thank you, Lord, for this time together tonight. We pray in Jesus' name.